What do we do when we find ourselves up against the many leadership challenges that exist within our chosen careers? We all have goals and achievements that we would like to accomplish. Unfortunately, these desires don't come equipped with insight or awareness on how to bring these accomplishments to light. In essence, this is why the Dream Octane Niche Finder Framework was formed. Our founder, Clifton C. Manning, spent the first 17 of his 20-year career in healthcare working with physicians and healthcare leaders to achieve patient-centric goals while possessing only an associate's degree in applied science. At times, these challenges were daunting, and he felt unqualified to achieve the success he wanted. However, he focused on becoming intentional in reading every leadership book that he could find, as well as attending frequent seminars in areas where he saw opportunities to improve. Over time, as he applied insights gained from these various sources, he was able to successfully and efficiently cross the hurdles he found himself up against. Eventually, varying degrees of success within his sphere of leadership influence became more evident. The Niche Finder podcast is intended to bring similar insight to you, the listener, from those who have achieved some level of noteworthy success in their chosen career. Our hope is that the challenges they have overcome in the past will provide insight for your current leadership struggles and unlock the dream of achieving success in your own career. We believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dreams and abilities could be its fuel. And now I present to you the host of the Niche Finder podcast, Clifton C. Manning. <laughs> I want to welcome you to this version of the Niche Finder Framework. Today, we're going to be picking up right where we left off last week. If you remember last week, we actually did an updated version of the episode that we did on the previous week because I just wanted to give a flush down and drill down into the content as I felt that there were more, there was more nuggets in there. There were more, there was more value there. So I, I redid it. I expanded it. And also made it into two different parts. This is part two of the seven tips, the seven tips that an expert can use to express their expertise. Uh, just to recap, last week we talked about acrostics, acronyms, analogies. If you haven't already, go back and listen to those episodes. I think it's very valuable. The content that's inside of there, you may find it helpful on your journey towards success. Before we begin, I want to, yeah, I'm recalling a story by uh, Marsha Brown. When I was growing up, um, she had a book that was entitled Stone Soup, and it was a children's book. And, and the story that was talked about was about three soldiers, red-coated soldiers, and they were walking, and they were walking through the woods, and they stumbled upon a village that was in the distance. Now, they were hungry, and they were in need of rest. And these soldiers, who were hungry and in need of rest, when they saw this village, they started moving towards it. Now, the people in the village, as they saw the soldiers in the distance, they got pretty terrified. <laughs> they, they started to hide everything they had of value. For them, it was their food. Started putting the food away and putting it in their cupboards and underneath planks and things like that. So by the time the soldiers got to them, they they thought these villagers thought that they were going to try to take what they had to value thought they was going to take their food and that's exact they weren't trying to they weren't there to take their food they was just there and they were hungry and so when they asked the villagers if there was anything to eat here the villagers basically started pretending as if they had nothing they had they were they felt they they started pretending as if it was like a famine in in the area and look you, you, you got problems, we got problems, deal with it, as Steve Harvey would say. <laughs> um, but the soldiers 
showed that they had a great sense of wit and know-how on how to survive situations. And this particular situation, they said, well, all right, I understand that you guys don't have any food. But this is, he kind of turns to his, his other, his buddy and says, well, maybe we can just make stone soup. Someone in the villager says to him as he overhears the soldier talking to the other soldier, what do you mean stone soup? What is stone soup? And he says, all right, well, I can show you. All right. You just, if you, if you meet me in the middle of the town square, get a big cauldron, a big pot and just meet me in the, in the middle of the square. So the, one of the villagers did that. They met right in the middle of the square. And by this time, the red-coated soldiers started to be surrounded by different villagers. And he says to the group, all right, listen, everybody, we're going to go ahead and make stone soup. I know you don't have any food. We don't have any food either, but let's see what we can do. So he's, he's, he put the pot in the middle of the square of the town and he got them to get water say get get me some water and then he said get me three stones from the riverside they got the three stones they put the three stones inside the water they put the water inside the pot and then he says all right you know what does anybody have any pepper and, and salt and they they oh one person says oh you know what i think i have some you know in the way you know deep parts of my cabinets and so they say all right go get it and then somebody says anybody have any beef bones all right beef bones you got the beef bones the next thing you know they ask another person for milk they ask another person for for carrots another one for onions another one for all these different ingredients and everybody started to bring one by one when they said they had nothing pieces of the ingredients that helped to make this stone soup and as it began to stir, as they put the fire on it and begin to stir it, and everybody's now participating in building this soup, what happens is that the soup end up being fit for a king. And it was enough that all the villagers could enjoy it. And at the end of it, they were able to, before they put the first spoon inside of the soup, what did they take out of the soup? The stones. And they served to the villagers and they ate and ate all night and danced into the night. And guess what? They were so grateful to the soldiers that they gave them the best room and board that the village had to offer. As a matter of fact, one of them even stayed at the mayor's house. And that is a great example of what it means to, to use our niche to help bring our message in a way to others that can one, as the soldiers did, effectively disseminate, clearly communicate, or consistently demonstrate our message so that it benefits someone else. Now, what that does is it begins to break down the barriers. So I just used an analogy to help bring about this point that I just shared with you. But as you can see, the story is what carries the message. And as it carries the message, it brings intrigue to the listener. And then now I want to hear more and now I want to participate more. And maybe this is something that you want to incorporate into your expertise. And so where we left off with analogies, now let's talk about allegory. So allegory is number four on the seven tips and allegory helps to add storytelling layers to your teaching. So allegories are similar to analogies as they both provide parallel context for the message um, that you're telling, that you're sharing with your audience. However, allegories are a bit longer in duration. So I just shared with you an analogy to bring about a point. Well, allegory is not just that point, but it is it, it will become the entire story. By definition, 
allegory is a symbolic representation which can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning, usually a moral or political one. So we think about this John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, right? Uh, Dante Alighieri's Dante Inferno, you may know that. Or C.S. Lewis' The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Each one of these stories are an entire story that are allegories. And these allegories basically use uh, types and, and, and have different characters that represent principles or precepts of bigger messages, of moral messages. So their they're, allegories somewhat takes a, a topic and they have layers. So there's two different stories going on, parallel stories that help to add what I call uh, story layers to it. Once it is discovered, you then have to develop it. And we talk about this inside of Dream Octane, because Dream Octane has these allegories. In it, the entire book is an allegory for the most part on how to discover, develop, and to deliver your niche. And I liken it to just like oil being buried in the ground, right? So once we discovered it, you then have to develop it. And before you do anything else, after you develop it, you then want to deliver it to a wider audience. And see, that's an allegory. That That is uh, an allegory throughout the whole book. But that what I'm sharing with people is they now begin to understand where they are in the process as well as where they're going or where we're going. So allegories help to add storytelling layers to your teaching. Number five is algorithms, algorithms. Some people call these flow maps or workflow or process maps and so on. But algorithms help to simplify complex processes by providing step-by-step logistics. Allegories provide step-by-step logistics. So we use this in healthcare. You have clinicians that may be designing treatment plans and, you know, for patients. So it, it will be, okay, a person comes in and they present this particular symptom if they present this particular symptom yes or no you'll have the line that goes down and connect okay so if it's no you do this if it's yes you do this and if you go to yes then you ask the next question okay do they have this and this or are they allergic to that or something else and if they don't have this and they don't have this and they do have this all right you know what they need to go to imaging let's go get some imaging and if this comes back positive then we need to do uh, these next several series of things. So clinicians, they have this. Some of them have done these algorithms so often in their training that they automatically have it in their mind. Um, And so these algorithms help to, again, give step-by-step logistics as to where we are and then what is the next step. Every all a commercial break on this, all of these seven things, they all boil down to really one thing is how can we take complex ideas and make them simple? If you can do that or when you do that with your messaging, you rise to the top because most people, when it comes down to complex information, they are going to uh, be confused. And if things are too confused, people shut down. Now, if you have people shutting down on things that they need to actually get done, it call at least procrastination or poor, um, poor quality products or whatever it may be. So if you get a leader like yourself, an expert that can help to clarify or simplify the complex idea or the the uh, complex uh, situation and make it simple, then you will start to see the value of that leader will grow or the value of that message will be more uh, palatable, just like the red-coated soldiers we talked about with Stone Soup. 
So algorithms help to clarify a process. They also help with performance improvement. It's in, for the last 20 years, I've been working in healthcare. And one thing that I love doing is jumping down a rabbit hole of a problem, flushing it out, and then coming up with a solution. And algorithms are great for that. You can have a 16-step process. And as you're going through it, you can say, you know what? Actually, right in, this, in the middle of the 16-step process, we can get rid of four of them. Once we get rid of four of them, it either is going to make things more efficient, more effective. It will make a better experience. There are benefits that come from looking at an algorithm because you can say, hey, right here, these four things are we will kind of circle them as being red or failure points in the process. And that's something that you could, um, you know, then take back and again, make the solution simple for the team. And it helps to clarify and also provide step-by-step logistics on how you, where you are and what you can do better. Next one is alliterations. Alliterations. You may not notice, but I love alliterations. And alliterations, by definition, it, it is similar sounding lists. So this is where I, this is, this is again, me giving you a, a definition, but it's similar sounding lists. Now, by definition, Webster defines it as the use of words that begin with the same sound near one another. So this is like Wild and Woolly or the Babbling Book or Babbling Brook. Uh, now, as I told you, I love alliterations. I think it actually helps to bring the audience into a uh, somewhat of a flow. Alliterative expressions um, actually bring poetry into the business arena where uh, overutilized business pros have dominion. And when we look at, uh, there was an article that I was reading um, by Stephanie Denning, and she, the name of the article was, Does Poetry Have a Place in Business? Uh, one unsung success story. So as she was writing this, the, this, this article for Forbes, uh, for Forbes, she begins, she shares this quote. She says, business language is boringly uniform with all executives latching onto the same business jargon. Uh, when you happen upon someone who can communicate the same idea clearly without using clunky, worn out words and phrases, it acts like a magnetic pull. Right. Do you see that? It acts like a magnetic pull. And so alliterations are powerful because it brings the conversation into the minds of others in a package that has simplified and or conveniently collated an idea. Alliterations are great in packaging your ideas. Listen, you want to discover, develop, and deliver your niche? Alliterations can help you to do <laughs> can help you to do that. Uh, Harvard um, actually had a business review, actually had an article that said the benefits of poetry in for professionals. And it was written by a man named John Coleman. And he actually pulled a quote from um, Harmon Industry founder, uh, Cindy Harmon, that uh, it was from the New York Times and, and, and it reads as such I used I used to tell my senior staff to get get me poets for managers poets are original system thinkers they look at our most complex environments and they reduce the complexity to something they begin to understand wow poets 
He said, get me a poet. <laughs> How many of us got our hands raised? I got my hand up. So he's right, man. It's like you when you're writing, even in, as a poet, when you're writing poetry, it is something about taking a, an abstract or, or a complex idea. And it's just like, OK, yeah, as you write it, you start to get clarity around it and you start to put words to it and give voice to this complex things. But it now becomes simple. Right. And, and poetry is great in making simple, complex or even difficult things palatable. You hear poetry being read at what? Funerals or some great event, an inauguration. Why do they read poetry? Because they it is a concise way of conveying a message in a way that's palatable and acceptable, even in our in our highest points at a graduation, for example, or our lowest points like a funeral. Poetry helped to convey complex situations or hard or difficult situations and help to make them simple. So when it comes down to discovering our niche, one thing that we we talk about, discovery requires determination, development needs discipline, and delivery necessitates diligence. This is how we describe it. Basically, it's just an example of providing similar sounding lists. So alliterations help to provide similar sounding lists. And then the last one that we have here for you are archetypes archetypes <laughs> so archetypes have importance because they help to provide symbolic labels archetypes help to provide symbolic labels where stereotypes which many of us are familiar with uh, they have a negative connotation and are based on generalized assumptions archetypes are more aspirational and are are defined as having an idealized version so when you look at this, um, Marian Dictionary actually defines archetypes as this, the original pattern or model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies. By definition in psychology, it coins it this way. It is an inherited idea or mode of thought in psychology of Carl Jung uh, that is derived from experience of race and is present in the conscious, unconscious of an individual. And so Carl Jung believed that regardless of where you are from in the world, there are certain uh, unconscious, uh, as he puts put as he put it, is the collective unconscious that will is common among everyone, right? It's just, it's a human, a human being characteristics. And so what he called those shared or collective unconscious behaviors, he called those archetypes. And he has like several of them, right? So I think, believe there are like 12 archetypes that he has, everything from the innocent to the ruler and so on. Um, but this is less about the lesson itself that Carl Jung is teaching, but more about the process and, and model that he used for teaching. And the model that he used for teaching is is the model of archetypes. So if you can take your message and you can put it into a description, you know, um, we've we've heard of uh, archetypes like, you know, are you an eagle or are you a, you know, uh, 
you know, uh, what, what are some of the other ones? You know, uh, a fox, a lion, like they have these different archetypes that are also out there. And some teachers will, will use these different archetypes. Um, one good example of more modern one would be in uh, Strength Finder 2.0. And Tom Rath actually has uh, Strength Finders 2.0 where he uses different archetypes to do what uh, he represents as different things like um, aviators and innovators uh, and so on. And so uh, these archetypes are what help to make the point that he's making clearer and then you could subscribe to one of these different things that he's sharing because he has listed a definition for the archetypes and then people could now understand uh, the lessons a lot better. So archetypes help to clarify messages and help to make things um, more understandable where people can fit in. So that's all I got for you today. <laughs> if you uh, want to you know, hear more about what we have coming up, uh, just follow me on Instagram, uh, Clifton C. Manning on Instagram. And this would be something that um, we'll give you access to the uh, alpha test. It is now being alpha tested, the Dream Octane Niche Finder Academy. Uh, and as you know, uh, we believe that if innovative change is an engine, your unique dream and ability could be its fuel. 